Hey there, welcome to our podcast. Pastors Todd and Mary have a message for you this week that they believe will inspire hope, unleash potential, and change your life. Make sure to subscribe to get a new one every week. Enjoy. Today we're going to talk about how love handles calling. How many of you know every single person in this room is called to something? So in order to really walk in your calling, you have to understand you are called from something and you are called to something. You are called from your sins and to God's destiny from your life. You got it? You have to understand that from the very get-go that your calling is bigger than yourself. Can I get an amen? Amen. Your calling is bigger than your ideas, your dreams, your goals, your hopes. It's about God's ideas, God's dreams, and God's hopes and how he uses us to fulfill those. And so... We're going to jump right in. Love handles. Just say love handles. Love handles. Let's start with our theme verse. Romans 8, 28. Many of you are going to know this verse. Romans 8, 28. It says this. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good. How many of you believe that? What's interesting is that verse does not say everything is good. It says everything works for the good. That means God takes bad and somehow makes it good. He takes death and somehow creates new life. There's all the things that God does. It works together for good. But we all like part A, but it's really part B of the verse that we all got to grab because there's a caveat. In other words, you have to do two things in order for God to work all things together for your good. First, it says it works together for the good to those who love God. How many of you at Church Unleashed today, whether in person or online, love God? Caveat number one, checkbox, we got that. Caveat number two, is they're called according to his purpose for them. There's a lot of people that wonder why so much bad happens in their life. I love Jesus, but are you walking in your purpose or his purpose? The criteria has to be walking in God's purpose. So Pastor Mary and I, we are called to some things. Some things are unique to each other and some things that we do together. It's the calling that God's placed in our life. The word purpose in that verse literally means to be summoned by God to an office or a position. To fulfill his purpose is most of us, we need billboards to tell us messages. Is that not true? We need God to... Hey, Bob, go to China, be a missionary. If God showed up with a megaphone, most of us would be like, yes, God. But God doesn't often speak in a megaphone. The Bible says he often comes in a gentle whisper. When God whispers to you, you should be just as obedient as when God shouts to you. The challenge is most of us are trying to fulfill our purpose for our lives, and we don't even consult God. And so consulting God is the primary thing that we have to do when it comes to any area of our life. It's going back to God. God, what am I called to do? Because that purpose is God summoning me. He's calling me out of something and to something else. Yeah, there are two types of purposes that we all have. The first one is unique. It's unique to you. It's what God put in you, like your gifts, your talents, your abilities, those things that um, sometimes you're really passionate about. That is your unique calling. And secondly, we all have a universal call. This is the call of all Christians, the church. 
It goes back to Matthew 28. It says, go into the world, make disciples, telling them, baptizing them, and also teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. So it's not only telling others about Christ, right? It's doing it too in your uniqueness, your unique calling, but also teaching them. Teaching them, why? Because the world doesn't know God's word. So once you have um, told somebody about Christ, right, they get baptized, and it's our, our job as a church, right, to raise them up, to disciple them, and to teach them God's word. So everybody has a unique, yes. right? So I'm unique. That was a bold, yes, he is really unique. Well, so, your calling is to be a pastor. It's different. Not everybody has that calling. I you don't think want that more calling. people have that calling but are ignoring it. It's a heavy load. But you have a unique calling to be a pastor. Yeah. And that is evident. That's evident when I first met, met you. Um, I knew that. And um, even though that wasn't my specific call, like I never thought I would be in ministry, that became my call Ooh. when we got married. So that's a whole nother. Well, it it um, shows you just kind of off on a, a little tangent here is whoever you marry is going to determine your calling. Mm. Um, so if someone's not called, you will be uncalled. That's so true. You marry outside of God's will, you might lose out on the big picture of God's call on your life. I mean, and you thank look, God for grace, yes. he can bring you back. Yes, but. I mean, look at Samson. Yep. I mean, talk about grace at the end. Oh, yeah, but goodness. it cost his life. Yep. But he did not listen to his parents, right, who knew his calling. He was called as a Nazarite to be separate, to have his hair long. That was the, you know, the cause of his strain. Drink wine. And because he did not listen to his parents and he married the wrong person, that's a whole that's a whole nother sermon, right? He married the wrong person. It took away his calling. So you don't want to marry the wrong person. You want to marry the strong person. Yeah. The strong person is the one who God designed for your life. And so when you marry that strong man or woman, it's going to elevate you. It's going to raise you up. You raise me up. But let's talk a little bit more about that. Let's talk about the three areas that we're called in. Yeah, but I got this really nice oh, acronym. Oh, I'm sorry. Can I'm, I do this acronym? You do your acronym. I worked on this acronym for calling. Everybody knows what an acronym is, right? It's C-A-L. Okay, good. <laughs> calling. The church actively living life in next level God purpose. If Say you, it again for the people in the back. The church actively living life in next level God purpose. Yeah. You will never walk in your calling in your, unless you're living actively in your next level God purpose. A lot of times we just make it ourselves. Here's why this matters. Because if God authored it, he is now responsible for it. So if I'm living God's purpose for my life, he's authored that. That means he's responsible. So if God tells you, I want you to do this, then he's responsible to help you be or do that. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. So in that calling, we, we're going to talk about three areas of calling today. And the first area is? Marriage. God called us to build our marriage. So just for us. God called and, us to um, build our marriage. Going back to the calling of a spouse, First, you are called to the person that you're going to marry. So if you haven't prayed about it, um, if you haven't sought the advice of your pastor or your godly parents about that person, you are probably not meant to marry them. It has to be bathed in prayer. And you have to know that that's that person that you should marry. So we're celebrating this year 21 years in September. We'll be together 21 years. And for the first time in 21 years, 
We, what's this called again? It's a mold. It's a mold. So it's we, called a Luna moon. It's called something. a Luna, and you put your hands in this tub, and it ends up coming out. Like, is that beautiful? Yes. Beautiful thing. I mean, I mean, her ring thing fell off, but you know that's all right. It's still, our hands. You can see. I mean, it's it's wonderful. So the reality is, we are called for those who are married to build our marriage. It is primary. Now, all the singers are sitting here saying right now, "Well, what does this have to do with me?" Everything everything to do with you. Because if you don't learn the lessons from the marriage, you'll learn the lessons from the divorced. Learn your lesson from those who are living life and enjoying their spouse. Learn some of those principles and then you'll get there too. Right? Because if I have to learn from anybody, I want to learn from those who are doing it right, not those who screwed up. So let's make sure we build our marriage. So for us, next to us building our individual lives with Christ, we have to build our marriage. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I always say this, your first act of, of surrender or laying your life down is when you give your life to Christ. That's right. But the second is when you say, I do. It's a great act of selflessness. You are saying, I'm gonna put my spouse's desires, my spouse's dreams, my spouse's hopes in front of mine. And um, sometimes that's a hard pill to take, yeah, but you're not ready to say I do unless you realize that. There's uh, two verses in the Bible we're going to look at mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to this. And the first one is found in Ephesians chapter 5. They're, both, they're all found in Ephesians 5, but the first one's in 22. It says this, for wives, that means you must submit to your husbands as to the Lord. I'm just waiting for amens to happen. I know, women, women don't really The like men that, are right? like, I don't know, do I amen to that? I don't want an elbow. Um, the ladies are like, I want to amen, but I shouldn't because submission. Submit to my husband? What does that mean? The problem is the world has labeled submission in all the wrong ways. Because when you read Ephesians 5, it is all about a mutual submission to one another, husbands and wives, and even to our children. There's a submission that takes place. See, the challenge is most of us, when we think of submission, we think of a submission hold in wrestling. We're going to hold them till they're knocked out. Submission is actually holding on so life happens through your relationship. If we don't get the submission thing right, we'll never really have the marriage thing right. Submission's not a bad thing. No, for women, we think that that's a bad, a bad word. But the thing is, you know, from the beginning um, in Genesis, God tells us when um, e after Eve eats the apple. Who ate the apple first? <laughs> after Eve ate the apple, one of the things he tells Eve, and because of her consequence of eating the apple, he tells her this, your desire will be to rule over your husband, but he will rule over you. And so, so many times that comes into our marriages, right? We want to be the head of our household. We want to wear the pants. And I think even with our society now, it doesn't, it doesn't elevate men, right? A lot of times it diminishes men now. And um, we have to realize that our role is not that. Our role is to submit under our husband, but to make that a good word because what does it say then in the next verse in Ephesians it says this husbands love your wives husbands so technically wives it doesn't say love your husbands it says husbands 
love your wives. <laughs> That's how we've made 21 years work. No, but what ends up happening, it says this, because you should love your wife love, like you love your own body, mm. right? You love yourself. Because you love yourself and because now you are one flesh, right? When you love yourself, I mean, when you love your husband, you are loving yourself. When you love your wife, you are loving because yourself. Because you're one. Because you're one. Yeah, you're one. And I think one of the challenges is our culture is redefining terms. Yeah. And when you redefine terms, you get nothing but confusion and chaos. Scripture's clear, and that's why the Bible says the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord will yeah. stand forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Culture will always change. The word never, ever changes. Its position doesn't change. Its standard doesn't change. And, and listen, we believe in elevating women. But we do not believe in elevating women at the expense of de-elevating men. You must elevate all together. If you're not, you're not being biblical. You, you should not have the fight between which one's higher or lower. The husband and wife in God's view, are equal but yes. different responsibilities. Yes. Yeah. And so wives have a certain responsibility and husbands have a certain responsibility. And today, everyone's confusing them because they don't know who's the husband and who's the wife. Yeah. But if you know who you are, you don't have to worry about what you do. Yeah. You will know because when you read the Bible, it explains very articulately and clearly what your call is to do. And if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, that doesn't mean you get to pick and choose and pop and choose which verses you like and don't like. You take it all, even the ones you don't like. And you say, well, listen, if this is what God teaches, then this is what I must align myself in. Because remember, the first act of surrender is surrendering to the Lord. Yes. That means I give up. God, what your word says, I'm going to embrace even the tough stuff that is really hard to swallow. So the first thing we have to do as a couple is we've got to build our marriage. Yeah. We've got to work on that. And, and we're not perfect. We are far from perfect. In, la in fact, last week we had a little tiff. Anybody ever had one of those? I'm not talking about a person named Tiff. I'm talking about like an argument. Like Anybody ever had one of those? And, and she, thank you, honest people, make the pastor feel better because I'm like, wow, you guys are more holy than us. Or you just lie in church, it's one or the other. And so, <laughs> and so here we are, and Mary says to me, she goes, honey, please don't ever preach on relationships again because every time you do, we have an issue. So this is our last sermon on relationships. But isn't that funny how the enemy tries to, Always right? does, right? Always you tries to You're preaching on this and we're yes. going to attack that. Yes. So yes. don't be surprised with the enemy's attacks because he attacks you right where you're living. Yes. You know? um, but I did want to talk about um, when you are a follower of Christ and you're looking for someone to spend the rest of your life with, make sure that they are a believer. Because yes. the Bible says, what does light have to do with darkness? And when you get married, marriage is work. How many people could say amen to that? Hard right? work. You have to put work into it. Anything worth doing, you're going to have to put work into and um, in order to have a, a good marriage, you have to work at it. And if, if the person that you're marrying doesn't understand your relationship with God, it's going to be even more of a difficult marriage. The way you raise your kids, what you do on a Sunday, where you put your finances, all those things are going to be an issue. So make sure that you're not unequally yoked like the Bible says. Yeah, it's very clear. It's interesting because a lot of people say, well, I'll, I'll get them. I'll do missionary dating. I'll get them saved. They'll come to know Jesus because of my life. The reality is, they don't come to know Jesus because of you. They come to know Jesus because of him. Yeah. Yeah. 
and we start taking more authority than we're, we're entitled to. We're supposed to be examples. We're supposed to communicate. We're supposed to share it. But let me tell you, once your emotions are involved in a relationship, you're not thinking Bible. You're thinking. We know what men are thinking. I don't know what ladies are thinking. I'm still working on that. But I know what, I know what men are thinking. They're thinking, mm, if I can just. But listen, iron sharpens iron. And when you marry the right person, they will make you better. Yeah, they are your greatest cheerleader. I know my husband is constantly encouraging me, constantly seeing things in me, speaking it out to me. I try to do the same thing for him with his outfit today. He looks awesome. The glasses, love it all. When he's preaching a sermon after, I'm always making sure to tell him, honey, that was an amazing sermon. Um, when we talk about calling in the beginning, when he was called into ministry, I knew that was going to be my calling too. And I wanted to support him in all of that. Um, and now she's not just a support. She's a stronger support mm -hmm. because of her involvement within the church, her spiritual role that she's taken. She didn't realize that. In fact, I think her family didn't want her to marry into ministry because they saw the pain, the problems, and difficulty of ministry. And now I say, I couldn't do Church Unleashed without Mary Bishop. Could not do it. The wisdom she carries, the influence she has behind the scenes. And there's a lot of people that try and take my unique calling and put it on her. Well, you need to preach more. No, I'm called to be the primary teacher at Church Unleashed. She's called to be there when needed and when she feels like God has birthed within her a word for the church. It's different for me. And so when you walk in that, if I try and put that calling on Mary, it creates frustration. We got to be able to make sure we know each other's calling in our marriage. Kind of like this, where, you know, I know you can get in generalizations, can get you in trouble in church, but, you know, where you might have uh, the guy's responsibility, which used to be mine, but now it's Malachi's, take the garbage out, right? Imagine long day, like this week, getting all this stuff. It was a lot of long days. Somebody else had to take out the garbage. Who took out the garbage this week? When I look at that, I end up saying, like, you look and say, I had this, but imagine if she said, no. That's your job. Just because you're working long out. No, she, she picked up the slack and got it done. It wasn't necessarily her calling, but it was her opportunity. It was her opportunity to say, listen, I recognize what you guys do all the time, and I can make up the difference here. It's walking in and honoring each other's calling. I mean, when we first met, it was, it was a dream. I saw Mary. I was like, man, she is so hot. Like, now you can't say that. So don't go up to my wife and say, you're so hot. That's not good, okay? We're going to have a problem. I'm a Christian, but I'll still beat you. <laughs> Just true, true. All right, let's and refocus. So, but, but, <laughs> but that was fun to say, wasn't it? But what I was saying is like when I first met Mary, something in me knew. That oh, yeah, she we was the talk one. About that. Yeah, she, she was. She was the one. And I, I literally, first time I met her, I called my mom. I said, "Hey, mom, I met the woman I'm going to marry. Start praying." We didn't even have much of a conversation. No. And the thing is, is, it's prior to that. I mean, I know my family was praying. I was praying. I had a list. How many ladies have a list? She's going to write a, a book of the qualities it's called that the list. I, <laughs> that I wanted in my future spouse, and I was praying over that. And um, it's funny because. I was saying something to my mom. I'm like, I don't think I'm ever going to meet the person. She's like, I know it's going to happen soon. I've been praying, and I just have that feeling. I was her soon. Crazy enough. So they hire him at our, at our church that, I was, that I've been at for many years, and I was um, teaching some of the teenage girls. And uh, he calls me on the phone, because obviously he was the head over that. 
And I had this like feeling in my stomach. Like what'd a, you want to? What'd you feel like? It was like a little sick feeling. She wanted to, to throw up. Honest. It was a sick feeling. But it's crazy. It's like I I just knew because why? I've been praying about it for so long that when I met him, and it's funny because we I almost like interviewed him on different things, right? What you believe, what all you remember, do you remember that mm -hmm. at the coffee house? I passed. And it's funny because we had so many confirmations that we were to be together. October 14th, yes. honey. It's crazy. We had this one um, day that we went to Cheesecake, Cheesecake Factory. Factory. Mm -hmm. Later, we found out that we both wrote in our journals. Well, actually, I wrote in my journal, I met the man that I'm going to marry. He circled it in his calendar, right? And what did you have on there? So I had lunch with my wife. Yes. And um, we didn't realize that until like a couple of Sometimes months Sometimes you got to make faith statements. Bible says, call those things that are not as though they are. <laughs> I was like, she's mine. She's mine. But there were so many different confirmations. Yeah. We had it from my parent. We had it from our parents, um, from our spiritual leaders. Just people knew that we were supposed to be together. So the lesson together. in that, though, is if God speaks to you and you want to throw up, it's probably God. <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't suggest this. So in basically three months after we met, right, we were engaged. We were engaged three months after and we I met. And I would not suggest Who that. Who does that? Thank you. Anointed wow. couple right there. You knew too. Another guest. We see that hand. God bless you. <laughs> but it's like when you know, you, you know. know. And especially if you've been praying over it and your family's been praying over it, yeah. you know. And um, God is so good. Anyway. Then we got married 11 months after we met. Yes. Yes. Um, anyway, I want to go back to um, three ways to build your marriage. Okay, First, everybody say three. three. Just want to make sure because you guys are talking over there. So. <laughs> First is communication. Communication. You have to make sure, right? When you're like when you're dating, you could talk for three, four hours on the those phone. Nights? I remember I'd be like, those. No, you go to sleep. No, you go to sleep. You hang <laughs> up. You hang. Anybody else do that, or is that just us? And then, how many of you woke up snoring? <laughs> oh, I'm so. <laughs> but you know, sometimes life happens and the fizzle fades, and so you just have to make sure that you're trying to keep it alive. That's my love language. He knows my love language. Has anybody read that book? The Five, Five Love Languages. Yes, good. That's a good book. It's a good book. You all should read that book. Um, I know. That's my, that's my love language, quality time. Quality if I don't time. get quality time with She's him. She's miserable. Yes. So. It's true. My, not miserable, <laughs> that was the wrong word. No, I didn't take it. I didn't take it offensive because I, I know that you feel She can get very, it. like, quangry, like quality time angry, like hangry. <laughs> I made that up. It's great. So anyway, so every now and then, my, well, usually like twice a month, Michael, maybe like once, it depends, once every week, twice a month, my husband will send me a text um, in the morning. You want to go out to breakfast? In bed. Do you want to go? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm up for that. And he doesn't even really like I hate breakfast. breakfast. Anybody hate breakfast? I think I, we should just cancel that's breakfast. That's my other love language, breakfast. A good, cute breakfast place, I'm all about it. So he knows I love that, and I just love that we get to spend time. Go right time to lunch. Who's with me? Without the Thank kids. You. Yeah, that's, that's your love language, steak and so, a so, good pork chop. So yeah, good pork chop, man. Um, but it, it's interesting. <laughs> what were we talking about? Communication. Communication. So what's interesting is there's times, we call it an FTC, a failure to communicate. Yeah. Most couples have problems because of FTC. Most staffs in a business have problems because of FTC. Yeah. Most countries have problems because of an FTC. There's failures to communicate. And so our goal must be to constantly communicate. Because here's what, I, now I'm a marketing guy. 
So anybody who's ever done marketing, digital, print, media, you'll know this. You cannot over-communicate. You must communicate. In fact, we had a rule when we first got married that we wouldn't spend more than $50 without telling the other person. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's terrible. It wasn't about money or control. It was about forcing communication. We trained ourselves on the front end that we communicate about the minor things so that when we have the major things, it's a lot easier to communicate. I had something. So communicate. You kept on going on, so I forgot it. Where is it? Oh, so many times we think our husbands can read our minds. No, that's not true. They do not. No. And so I've learned throughout the years. I'm a gift person, too. I like gifts. In the beginning, I used to love, you know, my husband's presents. I still do. But now I realize. I can stop buying them. (laughs) It's okay. Now I realize I need to communicate to him exactly what I want. She prints pictures for me. And I actually did that with my engagement ring too. But I, <laughs> I, I realized to myself, I can't leave it up to chance. You know, sometimes I think, you know, my husband got maybe some of the signals that I gave, but sometimes they don't. So you just have to say, this is exactly what I want. What do you want to do for your birthday? This is exactly what I want to do. And it just makes life so much better. Well, you know, it's crazy because her, her love language is quality time. Mine's physical touch. Yeah. Hey. And that brings us to our second one. <laughs> that brings us to our second way to build second a marriage. Second way to build a happy marriage. Here it is. So first was communication. Second is recreation. Love language, recreation, physical touch. <laughs> Remember how to have, have fun, fun with your spouse. Have fun. I love to have fun. How many believe I love to have fun? Yeah. I love to have a good time because I know that the merry heart is good medicine Sometimes it's the best therapy to laugh. Sometimes you just need to laugh at yourself. Come on, if if you're not laughing at yourself, we are. And he's always fun to be around. You're always making jokes. And that was on my list, sense of humor. It's important, the list, ladies, the list. The list. It's a new book coming out, fall of 2023. So we have um, communication, recreation. The last is celebration. We talked about this. Celebrate your spouse. Yes. The little things that you could find that that just make you so happy, celebrate that. Praise them. Um, our a friend of a pastor friend of ours always says, "You a don't statement. get what you nag on; you get what you brag on." Yeah, you brag don't get what you on nag on. You're your nagging spouse. your spouse. Yeah, 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 you know what you're gonna get. But when you start bragging on them and literally calling out the greatness that's on the inside mm-hmm. of your spouse, mm-hmm. eventually some of the things that bother you, you'll start doing. Because you become kind of like each other. Because the two become one flesh. Yeah, no, that's so good. That so what are they again? Communicate. Too. Recreate. Recreate. And celebrate. And celebrate. Physical touch. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Now building our marriage. Yes. Now we're on to the next, which is second important. Now, building our marriage is primary. What we're about to say is might, might get some of you a little, but wait a minute. The second is to build our family. Building our marriages first. We do not exist primarily for our children. We exist primarily for one another. Our kids are second. And sometimes that could be difficult to balance. It's difficult. But listen, the reality is your kids are going to eventually leave the house. And if you don't date your mate, if you're not spending time enjoying one another, when your kids leave, you'll be the statistic called D-I-V-O-R-C-E-D. 
It's like, wait, what is Melchior? Did I spell it right? Oh, I, let's go back. Wait, I'm sorry. Never use that word when you yeah. are talking to your spouse never. or getting into a heated debate. Never use the D word. Or I should have never married you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Never say that stuff. You're speaking death to your marriage, death to your relationship. Speak life to you. I'm so glad God put you in my life, even though I don't feel it like it, like it right now. I'm yeah. so glad he brought me there because you're sharpening me right now in the name of Jesus. Sharper skills. Yes. <laughs> you see how that works? The power of life and death is in your tongue. How many of us are speaking death to our marriages and relationships? Yeah. So we've got to speak life to it. But after, after your marriage is your kids, yeah. your family. I always say that's the third act of selflessness mm -hmm. is to have children. If you're not ready to die to yourself, don't have any children. Yeah. Because once you have children, your dreams, your desires, all of that goes on the back burner to them. They will fight you from control from the very beginning, kids. Mm -hmm. They fight you. Once you get, everything changes. <laughs> and when, everything changes. All of a sudden, next thing you know, I gotta run here, I gotta do this, I gotta run. Listen, the reality is if you're not willing to sacrifice for another generation, don't have kids yet. Yes, yeah, you're not ready. This is talking from a guy who received that, a dad who didn't, and it's a lot more to work through. You'd rather wait until you're sacrificially selfless to give your time as a couple to somebody else. Because yeah. the worst thing you do is bring, bring a kid into a loveless marriage. Yeah. And kids don't, make love, kids don't make love come up in your marriage. Kids complicate your marriage. We have three complications, Malachi, Abigail, and Bethany. But we know every good and perfect gift comes is from, from above. above. We know they're from Children God. Children are a gift from the Lord, yes. but they're a gift sometimes you wish there was a return label. <laughs> So you have exactly 200 and, 216 months with your child, basically 18 years to influence them and to raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so when you think about, wow, I only have 18 years, 216 months to really impact my child, that's, that's a big responsibility. But the thing is, what's happening today, we're failing a lot as sure. parents. We're abdicating our rights as parents to the educational system, to people around us. When our kids go to school, they spend most of their day there. And then when you throw in sports and all the outside activities, there's a very minimal amount that you get to be with your kids, to talk to them and to um, raise them up to fear God and love God. Yeah, and, and you know what's interesting is, I'm going to say a couple bold things about parenting and, and education. Is that okay? Here's the first bold thing. Sexuality is not designed to be talked about in your school. It's designed to be talked about in your home. And I am so stinking tired of an educational system that wants to be the nanny to our children instead of just do reading, writing, and arithmetic. They want to teach your values to your kids, and then you wonder why kids walk away from Jesus at 18 years old. Because we put them in systems that are not educating our kids with the values that we have. So think about this. We'll complain about coming to church for two hours a Sunday. But our kids are in eight to ten hours of secular education five days a week. We wonder why they walk away from God. Because non that's why we need Christian teachers. Yes. Yes. Because it's not just what's being taught. It's who's teaching it. The Bible talks about spirit transfers to spirit. 
In other words, if there's, a, if there's someone that's so anti-God teaching something, that spirit is attaching itself. But yet we'll say, hey, go babysit my kids because I got to work. We chose years ago for Mary to stay home and to raise our kids in homeschool. Because and that we was, said, and, that was and it was a sacrifice. Calling. That was a unique calling. For you, yeah. Yeah, for me. Not everybody you, could do that. Which you definitely um, supported that. But the thing is, you know, public school is not like what it used to be when we were growing up. How many people would say, yeah. Um, they wanted have, parents involved. We now they don't want yeah, any parents I remember involved. my mom was always in the classroom. I remember um, she went on the field trips with us. And, and when I had Malachi in public school when he was younger, I couldn't even go into the classroom. I couldn't even go on any class trips with him. And I was like, wait, what's going on here? And so public school, the education system today is about indoctrination. And you may not believe that, but it is true. When you see after, um, I think coronavirus actually exposed a lot. When you saw parents going to um, PTA meetings and speaking out or board meetings, speaking out about the curriculum that they're using or the books that they're using that are so anti what they believe, um, I think people really started saying, hey, wait a second. What's actually going on here? And um, I think we're starting to realize there's more going on behind the scenes than we actually know. So the educational system in America, if you don't know, arose out of the Industrial Revolution. You all know that, right? It rose with kind of that conveyor belt mentality. When you graduate from sixth grade, you should know this, look like this, act like this, talk like this, have all this information. When you go to, It hasn't changed since then. All we've, did is, all we've done is change the content. And the content, much of it that's being added, is contrary to our Christian values. Now, the Christian teachers are incredible, and we're grateful for them. But you had to teach uh, in Valley Stream years ago, and you taught evolution. And, and Mary found creative ways. Hey, does anybody believe this? And they would ask, is there any other options for how we came? And students would say, most of the students there did not believe in evolution, they thought there must have been a creator. Problem is, when you indoctrinate, indoctrinate through college, next thing you know, by the end of college, it's God doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's happening earlier and earlier. You yeah. have kids in elementary schools um, being taught that gender is fluid. You can be whatever you want to be that day. And we know that that goes against God's word. God created male and he created female. And when you have such young kids being taught such confusion. There's no wonder when they get to be adolescents, they don't know who they are. And when we keep on sending them to places where it's just feeding them and feeding them and feeding them things that are anti-God, we're going to have kids that don't believe in God anymore. And Here's that's, some, why, yeah, that's why some, I'm grateful, though, for the two programs we have, three programs, yeah. really, at Church Unleashed. Ultra Kids with Pastor Dana is doing a fantastic job. Yeah, yeah. And it matters. It really matters what we're doing. Because, well, wow, teaching the kids, what do they know? It's just babysitting. What Pastor Dana does is not babysitting. Yeah. It is giving them the word of God. It is giving tools in their hand. Because we're just a supplement to what you guys do. So we're grateful for Pastor Dana with that and our Champions Club, but also Pastor Dupree and our teenagers in underground movement. Just Friday night, they had a collab night, which had three or four youth groups with them. They had over 100 people downstairs worshiping on a Friday night. Now, I know that doesn't seem like much, but considering they could be having sex in the backseat of a car, selling drugs, or smoking dope, you guys ought to get a little more excited that we have kids 
that are in church on a Friday night. What you treat so trivially one day may be taken from you. Just ask what's, the people that's what's happening in Ukraine right now. Do you have any missiles going over your head right now? No. And yet I saw a gathering of a couple thousand Christians worshiping God as missiles and gunfire and tanks. Let me tell you, the church in America better wake up. And we ought to celebrate the opportunity and the freedoms we have in this nation that other countries are so envious of that they try and come here any direction they possibly can. I'm grateful that we have two strong ministries and pastors like these two that are leading the next generation. And if you don't like what we do for the next generation, there's the door. We will always be about the next generation. Always the next generation. I don't like the lights. I don't like the wall. This is not for us. This is for them. So when they walk into church, they say, this is a place I can hear, I can grow, I can understand. Not like all stuffy. The, the church we're about to buy that you'll hear about in a few minutes, the reason why they're closing is because they failed the next generation. They forgot it. We will never forget the next generation because we are one generation away. One generation away. So we have a commitment to the family. Yes. And the thing is, we are secondary to you yes. teaching your kids yeah. about Jesus Christ, teaching them the Word of God. Yeah. We were talking about this before. Growing up, it was always around the dinner table that my, my parents would say, okay, how is school today? What did you learn? And there, they taught us God's Word. Like, here's why, why that teacher, why they were wrong or whatever. And I always learned around the dinner table, you know, uh, your mom said... Yep. You learned family around altars. the dinner we table too. We used to have what they call family altar, yeah. where mother would pray and then she'd teach. And honestly, I hated it. A young kid, I'm like, why do we got to do this? It's so stupid. What a waste of time. Now I look back at the seeds my mother sowed are bearing a harvest today. Never underestimate moms and dads those seeds you are sowing into your children and, and the, the next thing generation. is, you know, our kids, when they, when they grow older, they have to make a decision yeah. for themselves whether they're going to follow Christ and everything that, all the seeds that we put into them. But when you stand before God, you want to right. say, I did everything That's that right. I could to raise my children to love That's you. Right. And um, I encourage parents, and I know this is, this is a, a, a big ask, <laughs> but... Um, like I said, anything we're doing is going to be work. And when you have kids, it's going to be work. I want to encourage you to take one year, just one year, and homeschool your child. And you could say, well, that's impossible. I, I don't even know. I don't even know any whatever, algebra or whatever. The thing is, they could catch up with that kind of stuff. And there's so many different resources that you could use now. But just take one year to spend with them to spend learning God's word. Because the, thing, the reality is, when you bring your child here to Church Unleashed, it's like one, one and a half hours of their week. And unless you are teaching them, like Deuteronomy said, right? You're repeating it again over and, over. and again and over and over. It is so difficult. And like I said, kids are in, in school for eight hours a day plus any outside activity. Just try it. And if obviously everybody can't do that, I understand that. We have Christian schools. We have, uh, my son goes to Smithtown Christian, which Great is an amazing school. school. Just um, take one year, if you can. Grandparents, I ha we have in our homeschooling co-op, we have grandparents teaching. We have single moms teaching their kids. And I know not everybody can do it, but I think everybody could do one year and say, I'm just going to 
I'm just going to take God's word and I am going to just pour into my child and we're going to spend quality time together. You will never, ever regret that. Then you put them back into school and just make sure that you're very involved, know their curriculum, speak to their teachers, know what they're teaching. It is so, so important because there's some crazy statistics about millennials today. It says this, um, 4% of millennials hold to a biblical worldview regarding God, life, and morality. That's crazy. 4%, 4%, right? 4%. 4%. And it says this, a foundation of absolute truth in millennials has been replaced by relativism. Relativism means that I can just believe whatever, whatever you want to do, you can do. It's all relative. I can do whatever I can do. I can believe whatever I want to believe. Um, and it says this, three out of four believe all religious faiths are of equal value. An absolute truth that we believe is Jesus is the way, the truth, right. and the life. There's no other way to heaven. And it's so important that our kids know that, not only from underground and um, ultra kids, but you have to be saying it. You have to be teaching them. You have to be giving them that foundation. And that's why one of the things that we're actually contemplating right now and praying about is launching something called the Unleashed Academy, which will be a K through 12th grade educational system that will help raise up future leaders to make a difference in the world because we say this often now. We're not here to build an audience. We're here to build an army, a spiritual army, that is. Yeah. I don't want anybody to, yeah. <laughs> I don't need any emails. Wow, we're building an army. No, a spiritual army. That's what we've been called to do. And so that costs a lot of money. It takes a lot of time and thought pattern. But who knows? Maybe, maybe in the near future, we'll have the Unleashed Academy at some big building somewhere yeah, that God's going to send we need it. a little bit more space. But um, it's interesting because in Josh, in, it was Judges. in, in Judges, um, Joshua, Joshua was talking, and he said this, an entire generation passed away, and after them grew up a generation who did not know the Lord or the deeds that he had done. And what happened was, is that the church failed their kids. They didn't talk about yep. God. They didn't talk about what he did for them, the Israelites, all the miracles that God had done for the Israelites. They forgot who God was. And their children did not know God. So theologians will tell you that Joshua spent, and his, his, uh, his generation spent all their time fighting battles, getting to the promised land, but they failed to teach the promises before the promised land. Yeah. If you don't have the promises on the journey to the promised land, you'll forget once you get to the promised land because you'll think you got yourself there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so they forgot. And it literally says they didn't even remember his deeds. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. One generation away. And that's why it's our job and our job to build our family, to build the family of God, to build it very strong. And that leads us to our third. Yeah, and the last is to build the church. Build the church. I think it's so easy sometimes in the comforts of Long Island, yeah. right, that most of us live in homes. Most of us um, have really good jobs. You know, we don't see um, sometimes or, or we don't feel the need sometimes um, for God, like people in Ukraine or people in China in the underground church. We forget um, all the things that God has done for us, and we don't, um, we don't really, what's the word I'm looking for? We don't really um, take time and say, wow, God, you have been so good. And so when we talk about building the church, we want to remember um, what God has done for us, and we want to remember that, hey, it looks like we're living in, in the last days, and our calling together, corporately, is to build his church. 
Because, you know, the Bible talks about in the last days there will be labor pains. There will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be um, global um, plagues. And we see that with the, with the coronavirus. We see so many things happening. We're saying, hmm, God, you're up to something. Well, when you think about what's happening in Ukraine, right, it's very sad and tragic. But if you understand biblical prophecy, and you understand this was prophesied thousands of years ago that Magog... Russia would come down, invade, and their ultimate goal and conquest is Israel. So they, if you follow the track, this shouldn't surprise us. What this should is excite us. Wait, the end is coming, and Jesus is about to return for his church. That means we've got a mission to carry out. So I'm going to be doing a series um, very soon called The Revelation of Jesus Christ, which will be a two-week series on the end times to arm us and prepare us for what it's really going to look like because it's not going to look like what it does now. And so we've got to be ready. So you shouldn't be freaked out. And everyone's like, pray for Ukraine. Pray for the world because this is just a symbol of what is bigger that's about to take place through the word of God that was declared thousands of years before this. So that's why our mission is so important because once Jesus comes, it's too late. Those family, those friends, those co-workers that we were too embarrassed to invite to church, if we don't get them before Jesus comes, their eternity, we've got to build the church. Here's Jesus. He's talking with his disciples. And he says this, he, he asked Peter, he says, Peter, who do you say I am? Peter says, I say you are the Christ, the son of the living God. How many know that verse? And then it goes on to say this in Matthew 16, 18. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now think about this. I've been told forever that, well, Peter means little pebble, and when Jesus made the statement on this rock, he wasn't talking about Peter. Well, that doesn't make any sense, because then track a little bit later after Jesus goes to heaven after his resurrection, here's what ends up happening. Who leads the church to opening? It was Peter. Peter was the one on the day of Pentecost who stood up and said, this is what the prophet Joel prophesied. On the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Young men will dream dreams, old men will see visions. On my servants and handmaidens, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus that day. On what do we build a church? I heard it said recently at a conference we were at, said, well, God doesn't need you. God doesn't need you to build the church. He needed somebody to be a voice. Bible says, how shall they hear unless someone speak? How will they speak unless someone be sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. God needs you. And it's interesting because who did he use? He used Peter. And the Peter was the one that denied him three times. So if you think you're such an awful person, think about Peter. God can't use me to build the church. Peter denied yes, Christ can. three times. God can use you. It's also surrendering your life to your church. Going to your church is a calling. Yeah. God has called each and every person, Christian, to a specific church. And what we've seen in so many, and just through the 14 years of being here, um, you know, when we say 
those who are planted in God's house will flourish. We truly mean that because we have seen people come and go, hop from one church to another church, and they're doing themselves a disservice because unless your pastor is in sin, unless they're having, um, you um, know, we're not. Uh, no, unless they're having Just to an be affair, clear. unless there's something morally that he is doing wrong, there's no reason to leave your church because you are called to that place. Because how else are we going to populate heaven and plunder hell if we have people hopping from one church to another church to another church? That's why I always say, pray. Where has God called you to? And when you hear from God that God has called you to a specific church, stay there, plant your feet, get dirty, because God wants to use you in that church so he can do what he, what he called you to do, right? To build his kingdom, to yeah. build his church. Church hoppers are church poppers. They will pop the spirit out of a church left and right. They will go, well, pastor, you're not deep enough. You know, uh, Charles Stanley, one of the greatest Bible teachers that America has ever seen, the number one reason people left this church, he wasn't deep enough. Yeah. Problem is, everybody's looking for their pastor to be deep when you're shallow. You can't be shallow in your personal prayer time and expect your preacher to be deep. Yeah. If, you, if you're deep, you'll see there's a lot more depth here than you even... But we make it sound simple. The, the great thing about Jesus, he took very complicated Old Testament principles and made them very simple that the smallest child could understand. My job is not to complicate the message. Our job is to simplify the message and to make sure it's understandable. We're, we're, not, we're not the main teacher to your children. We're a supplement to what you all do at home Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because it's your call to build your family, to build your marriage. We're to be a supplement to build the church of Jesus. This island needs the church. We need the church. You need the church. We had a funeral yesterday for Giselle, one of our members that passed away January 2nd of this year. Giselle's awesome. What a light of... And I want to say a few weeks prior to that, she got baptized. got baptized. And not knowing, you know, what the future was going to hold, but she was obedient in that. And she was only attending, I think, for seven months. Lisa, is that about right? Seven months? Five, five, five plus months. Um, and her son, in his respect and honor to his mom, showered so much honor on this house. Couldn't believe how short a time my mom's been here and all the love she received. You know what we did? I'm not saying this is bragging on us. This is bragging on us. All those expenses, this church paid for. Amen. All the food, the service, all that she needed to be taken care of, this house, this family took care of one of our own. Why do we need the church? Because there's a lot more people out there that need our help. And so we got to give sacrificially. My, my first pastor, I... Grow up with you say, you got to give till it hurts. Problem, most of us, once it starts hurting, we stop giving. Um, we got to attend and we got to serve. That's how you build the church. It's simple. And then you know what you do? You tell others about Jesus. Yes. Yes. You tell your coworker. You tell your, well, they're not listening. It's not your job to make them listen, but it is your job to speak. Yeah. It is your, well, I'll just let my life be a witness. How's that working out? If that's all we do, the Bible says, how shall they hear unless someone speak? Yes. Yes. 
Yes, our lifestyle, but we do more quoting theologians. Well, I preach the gospel all the time. When necessary, use words. That's not the Bible. That's a theologian that said a statement, yet the word says we must go and preach. The word preach there means to publicly proclaim the word of God. And so some of us, we use it as an excuse for spiritual laziness. Well, I just let my life be. At some point, you got to open your mouth. And you've got to say, you travel with me, I will preach the gospel to waiters, waitress, anybody. Gus, in Buffalo, you saw it. It doesn't matter who. I don't care if they're the up and outer or the down and outer. I don't care. Anybody in between, I'm going to find creative ways. We've got to start using this voice that God gave us because sometimes his call doesn't come from, it comes from, hey, this is, this is Todd, and I'm your neighbor, and I want to invite you to church. Sometimes you need to be God's megaphone. Sometimes you need to be the one to usher his voice. And so um, we're excited about all that God's done in our church, but we're more excited about what God has in store next. What God wants to do next, because God ain't finished building his church. God is not finished. And if we're in the final ticks of the clock, which what's happening, like I said before, what's happening, this should not surprise anybody who reads the Bible. We are living in the final ticks of the clock. That's why we got to build the church. When we were away with some of our worship leaders, uh, the church we were at in Texas, uh, they had a song, and it was basically called The Church. And one of the lines is, I'll spend the rest of my life building the church of Jesus Christ till the day I die. That must be our call as a church, that we will build the church of Jesus Christ till the day I die. Why? Because we need the Maldonados. We need to create an environment where they can walk into church and feel welcomed and accepted. Yet when they first walked in, they smelled like pot. But now they walk into church, you know what they smell like? Change lives. Change lives. The church I grew up in, the church I grew up in, come over here, Gerald, for a second. I'm going to give you an illustration. Just trust me. Just come right to the front. Church I grew up in, I remember sitting in the overflow in that church and an usher walked up to me and he said this, get that hat off in church, son. Sorry. Your, ha- your hair looks good. Don't worry. Your hair, your hair looks good, Cheryl. Do you know what I did to the church that did that to me? I tuned out the church. I said, why in the world, who does he think he is to flip up? And for seven years, I walked away from church because of that one moment about a hat in church. Get over it. Pastor doesn't dress up. Get over it. When the world is going to hell, we're concerned about what people are wearing. What? We've got to have a bigger kingdom perspective than that. We've got to accept everyone that walks in. I don't really care. Thanks, Gerald. I don't really care. You know, there's people that are going to walk into our church that think or believe differently than us. And that's okay. My job is not to treat the symptom. My job is to treat the cause. The cause of every symptom is their sin. And the cure for every cause is Jesus. That's our job. And we are called to build the church.